everyone. My name is Scott Walters, and this is the Walters Wanderings Travel Podcast. This is episode five, I believe, of season two. And today I have two very special guests that I'm going to introduce in just a minute. But before that, I have to talk to you all about my specials for July. Since July is Independence Day, we want you to be independent from your home, and we want you to be uh, out on the road. So any trip that you book in the month of July with me at Walters Wanderings Travel, you will get a $25 gift card upon completion of travel to the establishment of your choice, or you'll get a $50 in future travel credit. So that makes it pretty simple, pretty nice, and all of that. So that's my special for the month of July. Again, $25 to your favorite establishment, or $50 in future travel credit if you book in the month of July. So today I have two very special guests. To, we're going to talk about two uniquely different things. I have a with us, Brooke Berlin, and I have her husband, uh, her husband, Joan Avancil, and they're going to talk to us about two entirely different, disparate things, but they're really great. Brooke is an expert on Africa, so we're going to talk about things to do in Africa, and Johan is a bicyclist who bicycles much more than I do, and he's going to talk about some of the frailties and foibles of bike touring. So thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having us. All right, so Brooke, um, I'll start with you in the Africa bit. We're doing this in alphabetical order, both in subject and in name. So Africa, how did you get so – I mean, it, we, we understand Africa is really underappreciated. It's misunderstood. There's so many things about Africa that people don't really know. How did Africa intrigue you? What, 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 was, the, what was that trigger point that started you uh, in your love affair with Africa? Well, I think I would love to say that uh, there was a pivotal moment, um, but there really wasn't. I actually say that I was born an African in America. Nothing made me fall in love with Africa. It was just always there, you know, deep in my being as long as I could possibly remember. Now, I grew up in New York in a very international community, and so I was always around people's curiosity, but it nurtured my curiosity of music and dance and fashion and accessories and food and art. And, you know, everyone always thinks about just safari. So for me, it was really more um, of loving the people. And I went on to study magazine journalism. I continued to study. My ethnography was actually on body adornment, uh, you know, scar. And you see so much of that across the continent. So I love all aspects of Africa and was able to, like I said, study and develop that throughout my life in the States. But then, you know, I finally got to Africa about 15 years ago. And it was when I put my feet on that continent that I realized that I was home. My, you know, spirit just flew away from me. My soul is at rest there. Um, so I would say it's more of a lifelong kind of journey. And every time I go back, I find something else to fall in love with. Well, I can understand that because there are a lot of, uh, like I say, there's a lot of unappreciated, under-touristed areas. There's a lot of places that are maybe over-touristed too, and we can talk about that. Um, but I guess uh, the next thing is, um, you know, you, you come from a place sort of like I do, you know, upstate New York to begin with. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it's nice to find a more cosmopolitan community, but we know that sometimes there's things lacking there like um, – I guess my my question becomes, um, like, to me, one of the biggest travel gets for me is food and the and the whole eating thing, you know, sort of like those, you know, kind of Anthony Bourdain, Andrew Zimmern type moments where you stumble upon something that just is so 
authentic and so real. Why don't you talk about some real, really authentic and really, really real um, eating and culinary experiences you've had in Africa? All right. Uh, that's that's a good one. Good one. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, one of my absolute favorites, I guess I would say, is Ethiopian food. The fasting food plates that they have in Ethiopia are kind of reminiscent of the talis in India that I love. And I'll start by saying, too, I have celiac. So I'm always on the Whoa, that's That can be a problem in a place like that because <laughs> it's not like the chef comes out and can tell you exactly what you can and can't have. Holy smokes. Yeah, it's, it's made for some interesting uh, sign language conversations and a lot of pointing, for sure. Um, but, I mean, the in, in Ethiopia, the injera is actually made from teff and teff is a grass and so the injera that we have in the states is often made from wheat because they just we don't have right it's, you know, it's teff right. here so it's great i can eat all of the food in ethiopia there's no question for me they do both vegetarian and meat exceptionally well great spices but it's not just a matter of the food, which is wonderful. It's about the ceremony of exactly. the food. So a coffee ceremony, the incense and the grinding and how long it takes. I literally have a dress that was given to me by my guide's girlfriend when they invited us into their home for a tea ceremony. And I just happened to say, I love your dress. And the next morning, he brought it to me. As a gift from her, right? I mean, talk about the depths of generosity that you experience when you travel. And it smelled like the incense and the coffee of this small little room. Um, the, the, the fasting foods, eating with your hands, sitting on the floor, sharing a meal, that to me is what makes the experience luxurious, if you will. And so I've had moments like that in Morocco with the teen, um, in the Atlas Mountains, I've had things like that when we were actually in the Nubian desert mm -hmm. of Sudan, right, where you think you're not going to have incredible food, especially so Sudan is a dry country, no alcohol whatsoever. The tamarind juice, the hibiscus juice, the baobab juice. So it's not just about the food offering of what's local. And for me, the, the more local it gets and the more toned down where it's with my hands on the ground in the dirt with people, those are the stories and the memories that I have. No, I understand that. That's that's really, I think it's really important to understand that, um, you know, you can have great things happen and you can have it in otherwise modest circumstances. I have to stay at the Four Seasons of the Ritz-Carlton to really get, you know, something that's going to, you know, sort of take you away and, and make you, make your heart full. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Now, talk about the other part of it. We know that Sudan is a dry country with no alcohol, but obviously, you know, South Africa has really come on strong with wine. And it's, you know, um, what kind of advice do you give to someone who's thinking of maybe pairing wines with a safari in, in South Africa or other regions that might have wine that we might not know about? Well, I'm I'm going to offer one little insider secret, and then I'm going to actually turn it over to Yohan, because Yohan is from the wine country in South Africa. He's from Wellington, so he grew up there. Um, while we are both winos and we collect and we enjoy wine, um, I think that he could probably help answer this almost a little <laughs> bit better than I can. But a little insider secret is there will be an article published on, for instance, the gin scene in Nairobi. And everyone also talks about the gin scene in um, South Africa. I 
I think that you've got some really fascinating spirits coming out of different cultures and different countries that maybe we don't also know about or talk about so often. So we should talk about um, spirits in general and what's being made across the continent. But in terms of wine and food, I would love to just hand this one over to you. I mean, I can talk about my favorites, but come on, this is your specialty. Exactly. And I'm <laughs> fortunate to have grown up right in the wine country outside of Cape Town. Yeah. And uh, definitely, I mean, of course, South Africa is the wine destination in Africa and right up on the world stage. And it's important to remember there's a number of famous areas, uh, Stellenbosch, Franschhoek, and, you know, going back to food as well. I mean, while some of the, 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 the more out there meals can be incredibly memorable and a life, uh, you know, memory, you know, looking at sophisticated fine dining, just like in the wine country, let's say here in the U.S., you know, the area around Cape Town, the combination of food and wine and fresh ingredients are incredible. And you have your Stellenbosch, Franschhoek, your main areas, but there's also some up-and-coming new areas, um, and some not so new, but they've just been flying under the radar. So you can actually, you know, very often people come to Cape Town and do one day of wine tasting, and yes, you can get sort of a, a quick taste of what the country has to offer, but if you're really into uh, food and wine, you can easily spend a week and just every day go to a different area. Just like, you know, if you go to France, you've got, you know, Bordeaux, sure. Burgundy and like completely Champagne, very different areas. You have the same in South Africa and there's so much diversity and many of the good wines you can actually find in the U.S. as well if you do a bit of research and or especially if you're willing to, to order online and have it shipped to you. But those regions specifically, wait, so I'll give you a couple of examples. You've got incredible wines coming out of Swartland. You've got amazing wines coming out of the Hemelinarda. And the Hemelinarda also is where you'll have Hermanus. So you've got beautiful five-star properties, wonderful food as well. Elgin is another region that people are starting to include when they're doing a drive, let's say, from uh, Cape Town out to Hemelinarda. And I mean, Jahan's grandfather was actually a winemaker in Tulbach. So these are names that you don't hear as often, right? As he said, everyone talks about Franschuk and Stellenbosch, but Tulbach, Hemelinarda, like there's other regions out there offering interesting things. Well, as long as you point me to a good Merlot, I'm in a fine, I'm in a fine way. That's, that's, that's the wine. Uh, you know, my, my, my wife, my wife is funny. You know, we have all those little um, wine, beer, soda, you know, refrigerators. That, and then the wine side, half is Merlot for me and half is for her. So, I mean, you know, so that's what I always like to look for. I always look for a good Merlot wherever I go. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to find it if I get to Africa. And one more thing before we get to Johan's passion for bicycling. Um, everyone's concerned about all the protocols. And, you know, the COVID, this, I mean, it's still around. We got the Delta variant, the Gamma variant. We're going to, we'll probably have variants until there's no more variants. So, you know, just the way it is. Um, what's going on right now as far as how the countries in Africa are handling, um, you know, the, the tourists coming in? I know that Tanzania is pretty wide open. I know that Kenya is pretty wide open. South Africa is, I think, getting there. So what's going on as far as all that goes? All right. So um, first I'll say 
that, you know, I know, you know, I've been traveling back and forth to Africa. So when I'm sharing this information now, it's literally coming off of having just been in Kenya in February and South Africa in December. And I've also been to Zambia and Uganda. So I've been experiencing this firsthand. And I think we have to realize that we also have media that likes to constantly portray things in a negative way and no not at all they don't know they don't do that that's That's false news but it's it you know and we also have a media that that does not i think accurately and consistently report on africa so here is the reality When we're going on safari, we are out in these wide open spaces, to your point, as you spoke about, Africa safari has always been set up for social distancing anyway. You've got few people on a vehicle, you're driving around outside, you're going for walks, you're canoeing, you're sleeping out under the stars, and you're doing this with few people around you. So it's always been, I think, a a place where you can go and feel free of every kind of limitation that we might have, you know, in in life back here um, in the States. So I always felt very, very comfortable. Now, outside of that, what they've done is the countries have really worked hard to set up COVID testing. You can get that done on property. Many properties are offering that um, to ensure that they are abiding by the highest level of safety and standards. And it's not just for us as the tourists. I will always remind people it is for their teams, their staff, their people. They're looking out for their own first and foremost, and we benefit from it. I have seen Africa handling COVID since last August, head and tails above what we have in the States in terms of social distancing and temperature taking and sanitization on and on. We are going to see peaks. We're going to see waves that's happening in many places, right? Australia just went back into a lockdown. It's not just Africa. It's the way that it is right now. So I say you can easily still travel in a bubbled situation. There's lots of different flight options and Very honestly, I mean, I'm working right now with people that are going to West Africa as we speak. Um, Senegal and Togo never got the kind of, I think, awareness that they should have gotten for how they handled the pandemic. One of my very dear friends is an amazing physician, and he's currently overseeing one of the UN hospitals at the airport in Accra, Ghana, um, for on-site testing. So it's It is legitimate. People are always afraid of medical uh, needs in Africa. And I will remind people, the first heart transplant in the world took place in Cape Town. And then you've got other major cities where they're catering to diplomats, expats, their own um, government officials. As a tourist, you're going to get good care. And they're really going above and beyond to ensure that people stay safe. So I feel very confident, um, and I think that you'll find you can get there and you can take Mm. your mask off when you're with your family and your friends in a private property, and you're going to have plenty of time outside and fresh air and under the sun, and all of those things are good for us. And even some of the transports when you're on safaris have Wi-Fi, so you can still, you know, send the videos right right onto the social media. So, So there you have it. Yes. All right, now Johan, you're you you are a, a bicycle enthusiast, and then um, your your wife there was uh, putting out some posts on Facebook about some of your recent adventures, bicycling <laughs> through Arizona, which you don't do now. You have to do that like in the winter time. I get it, you know. So talk about um, that particular experience, and uh, you know why you are such a bicycle junkie. 
Well, I've been uh, interested and I've, you know, been uh, riding around on mountain bikes for, you know, the better part of like two decades since I lived in Southern California and actually since I moved to the States in the late 90s. And, you know, so that's my sort of recreational exercise of choice. You know, a little bit of fun and excitement mixed in with, you know, good effort. And this year, you know, we when we suddenly found ourselves in COVID and, you know, sort of locked down in that last year, you know, you start looking around, you know, you know, what can I do? What can I do to make the best of this situation? You know, as they say, if life gives you lemons, you know, you try to make limoncello. And um, exactly. You bake bread, but not for someone who's celiac. I get it. I understand. <laughs> So, you know, normally, you know, Brooke and I, especially, you know, January, February, March, April, you know, it's just really busy. People are planning their summer vacations or trips for the rest of the year. So that time of the year, we travel quite often two, three weeks a month in North America, calling on people like you and people in the industry. And, you know, it's hard to have a routine. It's hard to exercise. So one of the things I thought, like, well, you know, we can't travel internationally. We don't want to go too far away. You want to stay safe and away from people. So maybe do a long hike or a, a long bike ride. And I actually learned only last year about bike packing, which is like backpacking, but you put everything on the bike, your sleeping bag and everything else. So you can be self-contained and go for two weeks and camp in the wilderness and so last year, I then attempted the Colorado Trail, which is here local. It was easy. Um, and, you know, with Brooke's help, we turned it into a fundraiser. And, you know, I think we raised about $6,500 for a charity in Cape Town that really, you know, needed the support through COVID. They were supporting communities that, you know, where people lost their jobs and that they have, you know, really problems feeding the communities and, and maintaining their services. And then, you know, we thought COVID would be over, obviously, like later in 2020. And then suddenly it was still around in the beginning of this year. So, yeah, the, ne the next step was to do the Arizona Trail, which from Mexico or the portion from Mexico up to the Grand Canyon. And I just, you know, it was just, I think in this time of COVID with all the things happening around us, it was also just nice to be able to go out and, you know, clear your head and be out in the wilderness for two weeks, not thinking about other things, but thinking about how to get to the next spot and, and you know, as you go through the ride. And this one was a um, fundraiser for the Zambian carnivore program as well. So, you know, we don't, we're not normally fundraisers at all. We, we support travel and tourism, um, do not actually like selling anything or asking for, for money. But I also think that people needed or wanted a very easy avenue to feel like they were participating in something larger than themselves and conservation work in Africa and community work in Africa is so necessary. And so I'm very happy that we were able to do the same and raise about $4,500 for the Zambian carnivore program. And that's all just thanks to the people that followed along like yourself and then wanted to, you know, support these initiatives. Yeah, so now, when, you, when you do this long bike ride, um, I mean, Bikes break down. You're on. You're if you're on the side of the road somewhere, and you you blown a tire. I mean, what's that whole thing like? I'm sure it's happened. Uh, yes, it can. Uh, fortunately, actually, for the whole Colorado Trail, I never had a real technical issue at all, and uh, I think I only hit my head on the ground once. 
aside from technical issues. <laughs> um, and with the Arizona Trail, I actually had a little small technical issue. And, and the interesting thing is people are always like, oh, my God, you're out there for two weeks. Aren't you scared? Aren't the animals going to get you? Are you, you know, how can you just be out in the middle of nowhere? And the interesting thing is that, you know, you're actually really safe out there. You know, um, yes, technical issues come up. But there are bike stores along the way. Like in the Arizona Trail, I had one small technical issue with uh, the, the rear hub of my wheel. So I actually had to go into a bike store uh, along the way. So I detoured into Phoenix. And I tell you, that was the most dangerous part of my trip. You know, riding into Phoenix, you know, the school bus pushed me off the road. Like people were like distracted on their phones. You know, it, it was the most dangerous part of my trip. You know, out there in, in the wilderness, you know, camping in the wilds, you know, sure. I mean, yes, there are rattlesnakes in Arizona, of course. But most of the time, you know, you probably pass 95% of them without, you know, ever seeing them or them seeing you because you're riding on a bike. And by the time they kind of get their rattle up, you're gone, long gone, you know. Um, and there's bears in the high country. But as long as you hang your food in a tree, because that's the only thing they're interested in, you know, none of the animals are out there to get us, um, you can safely sleep and camp anywhere. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's, an, it's a rather intrepid uh, journey. Were there any spots where, like, you got to some vista and all of a sudden you said, I have to take a picture of this because it's just so gosh darn beautiful? <laughs> you know, on the Colorado Trail, that happened like, you know, about 15 times a day, you know, ah. especially in certain sections of it. Like you get up over a pass and look into the next valley and, you know, your jaw drops. And especially since these trails take you very far away from civilization. So, I mean, there's a difference between, let's say, bike touring in Europe and you're riding on, on roads and you're connecting cities and those kind of things. Uh, this like sort of off-road mountain bike trips, you know, a lot of times it's trails that are not really made for biking and you end up pushing your bike. We call it hiker bike. Um, and some of them are really, you know, you're like, well, you can take a bike there legally, but why would you? Because it's like straight uphill or something. Yeah, um, and if you're going to put drop off, you look to your left. I understand. It's like all that. It, sure. Exactly. And, and the whole desert scenery, uh, I mean, the, Colo the Colorado Trail probably had more jaw-dropping mountain scenery because the whole trail, you stay up at around uh, over 10,000 feet. Uh, the Arizona Trail was just a different beast, you know. It's, uh, you know, riding with the cactuses in the desert and, you know, beautiful sunrises and mornings, but also like much harder days during the day because obviously it gets hot down in the desert. But, yeah, equally beautiful in places. Well, that's very interesting. I really appreciate that. I'm not going to do that kind of thing. I'll, I'll just <laughs> stick to my neighborhood, thank you, and I'll, I'll do that. I mean, I, you, know, I'll let, you know, I'll let the more intrepid people go ahead and do this uh, bikepacking thing. It's okay. I, I pitched my tents in my time, but I'm, I'm now, I'm now my, my comfort zone is like, uh, you know, um, Courtyard by Marriott. What can I tell you? You know, it's like that. <laughs> although, although if I do go on a safari, I realize that most safari locations – are not going to be you know fully enclosed, and that's fine because I think it's really part of the whole experience. So it's it's really great. Well, well you two have been great. You on Go safari. Ahead. One of the things you can do on safari: e-bikes. 
More and more are now starting to have e-bikes. So, you know, on top of just your game drives and your walks, if you are someone who likes cycling, look for a property that has e-bikes and then you can go and like ride through the Mara and ride around. And we've ridden in Zambia and Kenya, probably many other places too. So you can do your wine tour in in South Africa the same way you can in Napa on a bike. That's good. I, I like that. Well, listen, you two have been excellent. I really appreciate the storytelling. I really appreciate the fact that you guys are experts in your field, which is great. It, it really helps. And um, I hope you have a great Fourth of July holiday. Um, hope to see you traveling out there soon. Um, and I, I can't wait to see all of your adventures. And I really appreciate you being on the, the podcast with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank having you, us. Love you. All right, that is great. Brooke and uh, her husband, Johan, they're great. Again, this month only, you get $25 off of the a gift card to your favorite establishment or $50 if you travel credit, but you have to book by July 31st. This is the World's Wanderers Travel Podcast. I'll be back on Tuesday with another edition with a very special guest. Thank you, and have a great day.